Hello, and welcome to a scholarly meeting. I am Brianna Chin, a graduate assistant at the Center for Christian Bioethics and an MDMA student studying bioethics at Loma Linda University. Today, I'm here with Dr. James Walters, a professor of ethics at Loma Linda University, and who is also the co-founder of the Center for Christian Bioethics. Dr. Walters received his undergraduate degree from Southern Adventist University. He went on to complete an MDiv at Andrews University and an MA and PhD for, from Claremont Graduate School. Dr. Walters has also served as a Seventh-day Adventist minister in Georgia and Southern California, as well as a former executive editor of Adventist Today. He has written several books on nuclear war, healthcare for the elderly, ethics and aging, and a book on Martin Buber and feminist ethics. He most recently was the editor of a book called What's With Free Will? Ethics and Religion After Neuroscience, which emerged from a conference that he directed. Thank you for being here today, Dr. Walters. We are happy to have you here. I'm very happy to be here with you, Brianna. <laughs> um, first of all, I wanted to thank you and all the other writers who contributed to What's With Free Will. As I was reading the book, um, I noticed that there were so many diverse ideas in the book. Um, in light of this, how would you explain to an eight-year-old, um, such as like maybe a relative, um, what your book is about? Oh, that's a good question. Um, is it okay if I imagine that my 10-year-old grandchild, Kayla, was the one that uh, has asked this question? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. Um, let's see. I think I would start off by saying, uh, Kayla, what a wonderful question. Uh, I'm surprised that you are thinking about these sort of things. Uh, uh, Brianna, do uh, eight-year-olds, 10-year-olds typically in your experience uh, talk about these sort of things? They don't ask specifically about free will, but they ask, oh, why do I have to do this when it comes to doing chores or certain things? So they have some kind of concept of free will, it seems, in terms of refusing. Right, right. Um, well, I think that I would say to uh, Kayla, if she said, um, uh, wh why do I have to do this? Um, I might say, well, um, your mother is asking you to do it, but then she might say to me, well, uh, do I have the freedom to say yes or no? Um, if she would happen to ask that sort of question, um, I, uh, I, could, I could try and answer. Do you want me to try to uh, answer the question like that, or would you like to rephrase it at all? No, you could try to answer that question. Okay. Okay, I think I would say, um, uh, Kayla, you have um, um, you, you have freedom that is is limited, um, and and then she'd probably say, well, well, Papa, that's who she calls me. Well, Papa, what do you mean that I have limited freedom? Uh, and I would say, um, I mean by that that uh, your freedom to obey your mother depends on the sort of person you are because of growing up in this household and because you're my granddaughter and you know me. Uh, 
these sort of influences make you uh, to a great extent the sort of person you are. And, and then I think I'd say, well, Kayla, does that make sense that uh, you are who you are because of uh, your parents and your grandparents and growing up in Loma Linda? Um, do you think uh, Brianna, she would agree uh, that, that that's true or do you think she might disagree? That's a good question. I feel like I have to meet Kayla in real life to know. <laughs> I can imagine if I was 10 years old, I'd probably wish I was more autonomous. <laughs> so I wouldn't want to be held back by um, thoughts that where I lived or my fam my, what my family taught me restricted my freedom. Just because as a child, I was very, I want to do this. I want to make my own decisions. Right, but right. Well, I, I, you, you, um, you, I think you uh, intuit uh, what Kayla would probably say. Uh, she, um, sh she would like to uh, be more than just a product of her growing up. And I would uh, say to her, yes, Kayla, you are more than just your... The, the uh, influences that have made you who you are. Uh, and I would say it's because of your complex brain. I would say, um, uh, Kaylee, go out and look at the stars uh, in the middle of the night when uh, it's very clear. And if you could count all of those stars, you would only be starting to count the number of cells that are in your brain. There are... Uh, a hundred billion nerves in three pounds of gray matter up here in your skull. And I would say there are a hundred trillion, and who can even think about a number like that, uh, connections between those neurons. And I would say because the your brain, which is only two or three pounds, because it is so complex, and we're only starting to know about that. We think that you are able to make decisions that are not merely, not only to be expected because of your parents and your growing up in Loma Linda. So, so Kayla, I would say, um, why you say yes or no to your mother when she asked you to uh, put away the dishes uh, is your answer is made up of two parts. One is you are, um, because of your upbringing, likely to be obedient, but because you have some certain freedom to uh, do what you want, that's why sometimes you're going to, uh, to disobey and say no. Uh, you, 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 <laughs> you, you, uh, you have... I would say, okay, limited freedom. It, it's not, not wide open freedom, but you have limited freedom. Does that make I sense, you, uh, Brianna? Yeah, definitely. I think you gave a really great expl explanation. If I was Kayla, I would, I would begin to understand why I had to put away the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you also mentioned one point of view as well um, in the book that was mentioned from the science point of view in terms of the complexity of the brain. Um, there's many different um, views that were proposed in the book. And I was, as I was going through it, I was astounded by the breadth of perspectives out there in, term, uh, in regards to free will. 
Um, I was wondering if you could summarize to our listeners all these variety of views in a short, in a short um, few minutes. Okay, uh, let me try. Um, we have um, in that book, we have um, persons who are Christians, or at least they were reared in the Christian tradition. And, uh, and uh, about um, two thirds of them have an, a Seventh-day Adventist background. And so I say that to say that there is more uniformity when it comes to the positions that we argue in that book than you will find in the academy at large. Um, does that make sense? That makes sense. Um, yeah. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that there isn't um, a healthy variety. And, and we all are, you know, we're, we're pretty widely read and educated and, uh, and we have tried to take into account the broad spectrum that exists among thinkers in the, uh, in the academy today. Would it be helpful, do you think, if I uh, said something about the breadth of views in um, uh, academia? Yes, I would like that. Um, there seems to be so many different um, speakers in this field, such as like Sam Harris and Nancy Murphy and Dennett. There were even more that were mentioned in the book. And I think our listeners, listeners would appreciate it. Sure. And these two extreme positions that I'm going to mention are not positions that anybody in the book takes. Uh, and in a sense, they're almost, well, I'm not sure wanting to say they're straw men, but they're, they, they border on being artificial. But, but it does show, but there are people there. It, it's just that uh, there aren't many purists left and right. So uh, let's say a right-wing view would be the libertarian view uh, coming from the notion of liberty, that humans have unconstrained liberty to chart their course in life. Uh, that would be the person who says that my freedom uh, is unlimited. Uh, yes, uh, I am born in, in a particular family at a particular place in time, but those are just uh, interesting facts about me as a person. The most important thing about me as a person is that I have an unlimited ability to choose how I want to live my life. The, the sort of ice cream I want to have to the sort of career I want to pursue. Uh, I'm in charge of my life, uh, nobody else. Um, it's it's the, uh, the self-made American, um, th that's, that's the image. Does that make sense? That totally makes sense. Have, have you ever seen anybody who comes close to that, if not uh, personifies that? I've heard of many people, but I don't have a, a friend that is a strong libertarian in my circle. <laughs> okay. But I've I've gotten to into like discussions briefly with the with those kinds of views. Uh, so I find it quite interesting. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. 
I, I had a medical student who was in our master's program who um, uh, took a class from me. And I remember saying to him, I won't mention his name. Uh, I said, my, you're libertarian and here you're studying ethics. Uh, you better watch it. Uh, the study of ethics might make things more complex and you won't be able to be as true to your libertarian values as you are at this point. Uh, he, he smiled and went on. Uh, he, he has uh, moderated his views. Uh, um, so, so that's one extreme. The other extreme would be that of, uh, of determinism. And not just any determinism, it would be a reductive determinism. And the, um, the reductive determinist is a person who contends that everything that is going on in the world today, everything in our solar system, uh, everything in um, our universe uh, started at the Big Bang. And that if you had a big enough computer to be able to chart the electrical chemical reactions from the Big Bang, you would be able to trace that out to the conversation you and I are now having because everything is reduced to its lowest common denominator. And because everything did start at the Big Bang, with a big enough computer, you can get it down to the T. Uh, does that make sense? That definitely makes sense. And it sounds like um, throughout the whole book, there's that di um, dichotomy between those two ideas present between um, like that libertarian dualistic point of view where the person has unlimited free will or they choose to have that unlimited free will. Um, and then that other side, the other extreme where it's um, the deterministic model that is espoused by like a lot of sciences, such as like psychiatry and maybe even genetics um, and so on and so forth. Yeah. I was wondering where is that balance between those, those two extremes that you and all the other authors found? Well, um, and, and that gets us to the authors. Uh, the authors are between those extremes. And, um, and I don't think that you can... Um, say because uh, all of the authors are unique persons themselves, you can't say that any two of the authors are saying the identical thing. They all are taking nuanced positions and arguing points uh, from different perspectives that are within that, um, th those boundaries. Um, Overall, I think that most authors, when it comes to whether they're toward the determination, determinism side or the libertarian side, would be um, slightly toward the, as a group, slightly toward the libertarian side. Um, but uh, we, everyone recognizes the importance of uh, as we say, nature and nurture, that, that uh, 
who we are because of our genetic makeup, because of our socialization, because of the time in history that we're born, uh, that makes us who we are to a considerable extent. And, and how much we rise uh, beyond that to influence um, our lives uh, in creative and novel ways, uh, there's where you're going to get your uh, difference of opinion, N not on the importance of uh, nature and nurture. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like everyone takes a different avenue to um, reach a conclusion that um, still maintains free will, but and allow, but then also recognize that free will is limited. I was wondering if you could share with our listeners what your view and what um, what arguments that you, you put forth in the book. Um, yeah, my view and, and I in the book um, was in dialogue primarily with the other editor, Philip Clayton, who uh, is one of the leading, if not the leading theologian um, of science uh, in the country. Um, and he's right here in Southern California. Um, um, I um, follow him to a great extent, but um, do deviate. Um, <clears throat> so let me get back to my view. <clears throat> Excuse me. My view is that um, we are um, determined by nature and nurture to a great extent, as we've just been talking about. But I think that given the complexity of the human brain, that by divine design, by God's plan in setting up the rules of nature to begin with, uh, natural law uh, in the founding of the universe, uh, that God set in, in, in action these laws that could lead us to having these complex brains that allow us to be able to have some relative independence to be able to not just be the products of the past, but to actually um, help design uh, our present life and our future. So, so, so I want to, uh, uh, as I was saying to Kayla back uh, in our illustration, uh, I, I, um, I want to have it both ways. And I think that I am describing the way things really are in the lives that we live day by day. Mm -hmm. um, I was wondering if you could speak about how free will and our understanding of it influences moral responsibility, especially justice. I know currently with all these um, social issues going around, and especially during this COVID-19 quarantine, that this has been a big issue for many. Yes, yes. Um, how does free will uh, relate to moral responsibility? Um, you know, talking about COVID-19, it is disproportionately affecting uh, people who are on the front lines uh, in the grocery stores, uh, fighting fires, uh, uh, doing police work, um, 
And, and these people don't have the luxury of being on Zoom and working from home like you and I have the luxury of. And these people are uh, impacted disproportionately by uh, COVID-19. Um, going back to what I was saying, they didn't choose uh, to be born into black, brown families um, uh, that are disproportionately affected. Um, what does that have to do with social responsibility and, and moral choice um, and justice? Um, I think that um, it, it cuts uh, two ways, at least. Uh, one is that, as I'm saying, certain people, certain demographics in society are disproportionately affected adversely. But those of us who are, again, through no fault of our own or no, through no uh, accolades uh, that should be given to us, are, are blessed with stable uh, upbringing, uh, with uh, privileged upbringing. Uh, we have the freedom to be able to assess what I have just mentioned and do something about it. Uh, we who do have more social power, financial power, political power, uh, we can choose to make things better and, and different in light of the sort of considerations that we're putting out there on the table. Does, does that make sense? That does make sense. It sounds like you're um, you're trying to explain that with more um, freedom to ch choose based off of your socioeconomic status and the privilege that, that the privileges that you have based off of um, how you grew up and education, it increases your free will to make choices so that you have more moral responsibility. But if you're on the other side where growing up or even presently, we don't you don't have those um, those kinds of blessings, you're um, your free will is far more limited because your choices are limited as well. Is that what you're trying to get at? Um, absolutely, absolutely. I, I and and that you may, you and I are making generalizations, and let's recognize that there are plenty of exceptions to the rule because mm -hmm. um, life uh, has a lot of contingencies, and there are a lot of exceptions. Uh, so, but but generally speaking, I think that you're right. Uh, some of us. Uh, are, uh, depending on one's theology, uh, we are privileged, we are blessed, some would say, because of God's leading, God's providence. Uh, others would say we are just lucky uh, and that God isn't there um, superintending uh, this and that in the universe, but rather lets his natural laws uh, rule. Uh, People are different on that, but the uh, but the result is the same. That some of us have much more freedom. It's it is bounded. It's limited, but because of privileged upbringing, uh, superior genes for certain outcomes, we do have uh, more options, more freedom, and with that, I think I think comes 
more moral responsibility. Uh, in, in the final judgment, uh, which we Christians believe is coming, uh, more will be required of us uh, because of these increased uh, blessings that we have. You make a good point. Um, how do you think that this freedom to choose has affected all the divisions in our nation, politically, racially, um, religiously? Um, it sounds like whenever I go onto the news, um, many people disagree. And if we say that um, we're choose they're choosing to disagree and they're choosing to not listen to the other person's perspective, um, how do we, in other words, how do we um, use free will to comprehend that kind of discourse where people are not agreeing because they come from different points of view, different upbringings? Um, very good question. Uh, and, and if we haven't mentioned before, we're not only experiencing COVID-19, but we're also in the aftermath of uh, George Floyd being murdered by a policeman uh, uh, in a very brutal sort of way uh, in Minneapolis just uh, over a week ago. Uh, and, and the nation is now uh, uh, in, in riot mode in the inner cities uh, because of that. Um, so, um, so how does free will uh, cut into that discussion? How does, does it illumine uh, what's going on between the different uh, political, um, racial, camps. Uh, I think it, uh, it is a significant help. Uh, I think it um, is, um, is illuminating for us to recognize the fact that we have the divisions in society that we do to a large extent because of factors beyond any one individual's concern. So, so it's not those who've chosen to be good and those who've chosen to be bad. Uh, that's way too simplistic. Uh, and, and those, and we can't expect that those who aren't blessed with the sort of education that I have, that you ha have and are getting, we can't expect those who don't have that sort of education to be able to sit back and look dispassionately at the issues like we're able to do right now. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so I think that that is the first big step is to recognize that we have the luxury of essentially doing armchair thinking, philosophizing about these things. And everybody doesn't have that. Many people are, they are hand to mouth in terms of the food that they have every day. Uh, many people fear for their lives when they go out in the larger society. Many of our black brothers and sisters, uh, uh, some like yourself who are Asian, uh, you have to contend with uh, some prejudices, uh, perhaps having to do with the origins of uh, COVID-19 that some of us white guys don't have to. Uh, so there are a number of factors here that we can understand. So I think the first, the first way that um, understanding this discussion of free will can be helpful is just by our being able to more 
fully understanding the dynamics that are behind the sort of turmoil that's going on in society. Mm -hmm. I think you really bring um, this discussion back home and to a lot of people that are struggling right now um, with many different things. In our nation, we're struggling with not only the quarantine, but also a lot of um, a lot of like fighting between um, races because of injustice of how people are being treated. Um, even in healthcare, um, you can see that racial divide as well. Um, when we have the, a huge healthcare disparity with African Americans in regard to COVID nineteen. Um, I wanted to make a quick segue um, to the the physics, the discussion of physics in the book. I was wondering if you could touch upon how physics, such as quantum mechanics and the chaos theory and the emergence theory affect the discussion of free will. Um, I didn't write on that in my chapter and I am limited in my knowledge of physics, although back in college, I initially planned to be a physics major. Um, but I am fascinated by physics, and, and I can say a limited amount. Uh, would, would that be helpful, do you think? That would be helpful. Thank you. Uh, there are some who um, are wanting to contend, and this is on the fringes of science today, and that is that because of the complexity of the human brain, that I've already mentioned, uh, but they want to say that it's much greater than that. And that because of that, there may be at the very uh, small building blocks in each one of those neurons that I was mentioning that we have, and we have 10, 100 billion neurons, but in each one of those, there are elements that are so small that quantum physics uh, applies, that uh, there are quantum uh, considerations that we are only beginning to study are going on. I mean, and I should say that those who are advancing this theory, and there is a... Uh, a significant um, astrophysicist uh, in Great Britain, an anesthesiologist uh, uh, in uh, University of Arizona who are putting forth uh, these ideas. Um, they admit they're, they're, they're speculative, but I think that uh, that's the way science uh, makes leaps forward is by uh, pioneering um, knowledgeable, well-read uh, researchers uh, speculating and uh, putting out theories. And, and, and so there is one theory that at, the, at the, the building blocks of the physical universe where quantum mechanics reigns, that there is activity going on that may account for our consciousness, our being able to be conscious of ourselves as the humans we are, and of course, the next step from that would be that we are not determined and chaos theory would kick in there and giving support to the idea that at very elemental levels, uh, 
there is uh, unpredictability. So at those levels, uh, there is something going on that would be the basis for our being able to do something beyond just being programmed bottom up, that top down, we can make decisions uh, that matter. Mm-hmm. That, that's a very uh, lay uh, uh, take on what I know some are, uh, are speculating in regard to how uh, modern physics might uh, have an influence on uh, the free will discussion. No worries. I'm not a quantum physicist either, so my level of understanding only goes so far. Um, it makes total sense, though. So it sounds like all these physics theories point to a certain kind of indeterminacy, which can um, help give rise to consciousness, correct, right? I, I, I think that that's the speculation. That, um, mm-hmm. that, but, but a lot of it is based on um, uh, lack of evidence, um, but, mm-hmm. but I am one who thinks that, um, that the frontiers of knowledge in the humanities, uh, the wisdom of, in the humanities and the, uh, the technical knowledge in science, the limits of that are, uh, are not realized, uh, that uh, given the, the uh, exponential rise in knowledge in the last few decades, last century or two, uh, if that uh, graph keeps going up, um, there are ideas now that are mere speculation that could uh, be confirmed or uh, relatives of those ideas will be seen to be valid and we'll know so much more than what we do now about the questions that we're raising uh, here in this interview. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, I wrote my master's thesis on AI, specifically AI in healthcare. I was wondering what you thought about, um, you know, it's very, it's out there in media and a lot of movies, AI becoming free and having um, self-consciousness as well to the level of human beings. I was wondering how um, after your studying of free will and all your discussions influences whether um, humans can recreate that same kind of experience with technology. Oh wow! Um, I uh, I think that th- that is a very serious question, and the uh, and the the answer, of course, we don't know. But the very fact that we can raise this question is significant. Uh, and as uh, as we know, there are. Um, there are very adventuresome filmmakers uh, who have uh, series on Netflix and uh, uh, Amazon Prime uh, that are um, are exploring these ideas. Um, and and who would have thought that we would have the capability that we have in our little iPhones that we have now? Uh, what the future holds, uh, I, I surely don't know. And whether we can ever develop a, um, a self-aware, uh, choosing um, uh, robot 
Um, I don't, I don't rule that out. Um, but, uh, I, I think that it's a long ways away if it ever happens. And between now and then, uh, I could see us making all kinds of mistakes so that, um, uh, and, and this is something that, as you know, from your work on AI is being written about in the literature. And that is, uh, might we create, uh, a some sort of a uh, a machine slash organism that uh, is smarter than we are, and it takes over programming of itself because it has outsmarted us. Uh, and I can I can see that happening. Um, it, it's it's uh, it's very it's very sobering. Um, I, I think of uh, of Hans Jonas. His background is uh, is uh, is Jewish, and and he uh, years ago, when I was in graduate school, was writing on some similar themes, and he was raising secular questions um, from a theological point of view. One might say. God created us in God's image, and we ought not tamper with the essence of who we are as humans. But Hans Jonas was raising secular questions, saying, if we have evolved to these complex beings through many trial and errors through the evolutionary process, we have come to a stability which we ought to respect because we could easily um, thwart the sort of um, stability that we now have by turning it on its head. So I would put both a secular and a, and a theistic perspective together and say, proceed with due caution. Uh, and, and that's why you and I are uh, studying ethics, uh, because we, we, we want to uh, we want to anticipate what may come in the future and think it through before mad scientists do it. What do you think? That's very true. I I agree. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. I think that's the beauty of ethics. Um, because ethics is essential in um, many decisions that we make in our lives, including invention, an AI invention. Um, even if we can create it, it doesn't necessarily mean that we should use it in any way possible. And it's always, always, it's always um, really important on how we use something, not necessarily if we could use it. If that makes any sense. Yes, but but how much do we know uh, about history? Um, have humans ever invented something that uh, some humans haven't used to, to, to mm. the good or to the ill? That's a good point. Usually, like if you look at military weapons, it's been used for protection, but also for, um, for hurting others as well. So it's, it's definitely a sobering thought. I agree. Um, I had 
I had a, another question about how free will fits into the Christian narrative. For instance, how does it fit into God's plan for humanity and our personal choice um, with salvation and choosing um, Jesus as our Savior? A good question. Uh, again, in the theological area, um, I, I, I am one who... Um, who believes that, uh, as I've alluded to before, that um, it's in God's plan that we do have the sort of constrained freedom that we have. Um, and uh, I think that when it comes to salvation, that God is a God of love and God is going to give us every benefit of the doubt in uh, including us in God's plan for the eternal future. I, I, I'm not one who thinks that because of the fate or blessing of birth that one's eternal destiny is decided. Um, we learn from uh, the Holy Scriptures that God will take into account where every person is born uh, in making determinations about that person's future. So a, a person need not uh, even have heard the name of Jesus or even believe in the Christian God to be a, a part of God's eternal kingdom. Uh, in the Adventist tradition, one of our co-founders, Ellen White, talks about there being people in heaven who will ask Jesus about the uh, nail prints in his hands, his palms, suggesting that they never knew about the plan of salvation. Uh, I subscribe to that broad view of eternal salvation, that God will take persons who, given their nature and nurture, have made the best decisions that are reasonable for them. Uh, that will be accounted uh, sufficient in God's book for them to be a part of God's eternal kingdom. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? That sounds like a, a beautiful um, Christian narrative <laughs> in accordance with um, your view of free will. Mm -hmm. um, in the beginning of the book, within the introduction, you mentioned how um, resetting and talking about free will with other writers and authors has affected you personally, especially with um, changing your stance on many issues and including with changing your relationships with other people um, and with God as well and yourself. I was wondering if you could speak more about that. Oh, um, uh, first of all, thank you for uh, having paid enough attention to the book to have even read uh, what I wrote there in the introduction. Uh, yeah, at, toward the end, I, um, I, I did get rather personal because this is not just an academic issue. You know, th this question of how much freedom we have or don't have uh, gets to the very core of our notion of ourselves and uh, our, um, our, uh, choices about life. And, uh, and I might just read uh, the last, um, the la one of the last uh, things, I think you're referring to this. Uh, are you, 
would it be okay if I if, if I read read a paragraph or two? No, feel free. Go ahead. Uh, okay, I, I say I end on a personal note. Uh, getting quite deeply into the free will discussion has made an impact on my own life. As a human being who is also a Christian, I've been commanded to have concern for the other, to love. I now have added reason to love because the other person didn't, to a large degree, choose the faults and shortcomings that he or she may have that irk me. Um, so so I'm, I'm not going to be put off by other people as easily as I was before I had this perspective because they didn't choose to be uh, the objectionable characters that I see them to be. Um, mm -hmm. I, I further say uh, I'm more accepting of myself, both my assets and my liabilities to a great extent. I have both because of my inherited genes and my upbringing, neither of which were chosen by me. I'm less proud of my successes and more at peace with my failures. So, so, so I, I think it's, uh, it, it makes me, uh, I think, a, uh, a better person uh, mm -hmm. that, uh, that, that I uh, have the capability of being a more responsible human being because I recognize that I'm part of a larger whole, which I see as good a part of a divine plan. And, uh, and and because I am so interconnected with everybody, um, uh, I, uh, I need to take advantage, going back to what we were saying earlier, of the uh, benefits that I have uh, had bequeathed to me to be able to uh, make our world a better place. Thank you so much for sharing your personal story. Um, you eliminated how important our concept of free will is to not just others, but to ourselves as well, and how it, deep, it deeply affects us. Um, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Walters. I was wondering if you had any other final words or pieces of advice that you wanted to share for those listening in. Oh, uh, I, uh, what would I say? Um, I, I think I'll end on the note of education. Uh, we alluded to that before, at least implicitly, but I think that through our, our talking about themes like you have just been bringing up with me today, uh, by our getting to know more about ourselves, we're able to use that education making it as broad as we can to be able to uh, help individuals to, to not only help themselves, but to help those around them. Uh, so, so, so the importance of, of education and particularly uh, here at Loma Linda of Christian education, to see this in a humanistic perspective is wonderful and good, but that's only part of it to get to the next level and see this in a, as part of a grander uh, divine plan, uh, I, I think is uh, even more magnificent. So, so, so that's a, uh, 
that, that's a plea for education, particularly for Christian education. Thank you so much, Dr. Walters. We appreciate having you here with us today. Thank you, uh, Brianna. Uh, thank you for the invitation to, to join you in this conversation. Thank you.